Welcome to Good Setters Podcast, where we meet some of the most interesting people on the planet that get good stuff done. So sit back and relax, grab an herbal tea as we talk faith, family, and entrepreneurship. Man, I am so excited today. We have the famous Adam Riley literally in the house studio today with us. This guy is, is, a, is a great man of faith. He is an author, blogger, uh, writer. That's redundant. I don't care. The guy's just, just, just pretty awesome, man. Welcome to the podcast today. Thank you. Thank you for having me. You know, as, as you know, we, we on this podcast talk about faith, family, and business. And because of our faith, that's how we've gotten to, to know each other mm-hmm. through church and uh, why don't you kind of describe your faith journey where God's brought you to and from and um, and just want to hear about that. Um, faith and Christianity and, and church has kind of always been a part of my life. My dad um, was the associate pastor at the church I grew up at. Uh, he's been at that church now for over 30 years. And um, coming this January 1st, he'll actually be named the head pastor. Um, So I've grown up in church from the day I was born, Uh, been in church my whole life, Um, and always knew about God. But then during my college years was really when I experienced God, um, where the light bulb for me kind of went on, um, where I would say kind of my conversion happened. There's a profession of faith a long time ago in my life, um, but... That conversion, I would say, experience really happened probably about my age 19 year. Um, From that time, I was in uh, seminary school, got my undergraduate in theological studies, my master's degree in theological studies from Liberty University, Uh, went and worked for my home church for three years as a youth pastor. Um, And it was those three years, those the outside work was not as glamorous, but in those three years, my growth as I would say a Christian was at its peak. Um, always reading everything I get my hands on, writing as much as I could, though none of that will ever be seen. Um, <laughs> and then uh, just really kind of growing in that mode of sanctification, right? Uh, deepening yeah. my desire and, 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 and pursuit of God's glory. What did, um, what did your conversion experience look like? It's, it's really hard to describe. Um, that, that conversion experience for me was, I, growing up, I always knew that there was a God, and I had this kind of grandiose idea of who God was. Uh, but during my second year of college and third year of college, I traveled with a, a summer camp and God became tangible almost in a way, right? Like real, like not this grandiose idea, but this, and it was in that moment that I was just like, okay, everything that I have and am is completely surrendered to this God who I've now experienced. Um, And for me, like I said, that was completely life-changing as hopefully it would be for anybody, right? Um, So it was, it was, one of those moments where I, I, I can look back on and say, okay, hey, this is the moment that 
that God completely took a hold of who I was, saved me, and now is using me for his glory in every which way. Yeah, man, that's fantastic. And then you'd mentioned that uh, you were in vocational ministry for a few years. Kind of tell the audience the good, the bad, the ugly with vocational ministry. It's not easy and it's not for everyone. Um, and I love the people that I work for. So I'm not, there, there, there is ugly and there is bad because that happens with everyone because you're dealing with people who are sinful. Mm-hmm. Um, but essentially for me, it just got to a point where I felt I was doing what was necessary, but it didn't fit in the long-term plans of where I was at. So it was time to move on. Um, going back and working for your home church is always difficult because everyone expects you to be the person they grew up knowing. Right. right? As opposed to the man who God's changed you into. Yeah. And sometimes those people conflict a little bit. Yeah. And so, I mean, there were a fair, a fair share of moments where frustration happened, but at the end of the day, if it wasn't for those three years of my life, I wouldn't be who I was today. Um, It was a good time. It was exciting. Uh, There was a lot of excitement because you got to see light bulbs go off in other students, right? Or in in the people that you worked with uh, alongside. Uh, But with any ministry, whether it's at your home church or not, there's a fair share of frustration and and not so good stuff you have to wade through. And and even if it's not your home church, even if it's not your home church, there's plenty of frustration. Any any ministry, because you're (laughs) dealing with sinful people. Yeah. Is there's, there's stuff to wade through all the time. Yeah. And I know we've talked about this before, but it's interesting that people feel like if, if, unless you're a minister at a local church on the payroll, then you're not a minister Right. Of the gospel. And and the fact is when we come to know Christ, we, we become ministers of the gospel. Right. We we just may not be vocational ministers right. of the gospel. Right. Don't we you might not get paid for it. Right. But our our reward is what lies in heaven. Right. So um yeah, it's it's always interesting to me to think that the ministry responsibility should fall on the people who are paid for it when all of us are commanded and called to go. Right. Yeah. As you go and as you live life, the Great Commission says, make disciples. And so coming to that real, real realization for a lot of people is, takes time. But I think once once you get it, I think, you know, where we go to church, I think we do a really good job of making disciples of everyone and making everybody a part of the ministry as opposed to resting it on the few that are paid for it. Yeah. Yeah. Man, that's great. And, you know, we talk about discipleship a lot and it's, you know, that, that term is used in church and, um, it's part of our vocabulary. Um, you know, for an audience that may or may not be Christian, what, you know, how would you explain the the term discipleship? Well, it's always interesting to me because when we talk about who the disciples are, right. Um, we, we always put them up on this pedestal of, of, of great men and they were great men, but we always look at them and say, Oh man, if I could only be, but in reality, if you read the story of who the disciples were, they were the people unwanted by society, you know, Jewish times, old Testament times, they had a certain amount of schools they had to go through. And if they didn't pass the test to go to the next level, 
they were taking up a family business. Yeah. And not one of the disciples that Jesus came to was studying at school when he came to them. They were all doing family business stuff. They were ordinary men just like us. And, and I think when we talk about discipleship, it's the idea of following, right? It's the idea of, okay, who is the teacher that you are following? Not in today's world where you line up behind a specific pastor, but who is the ultimate teacher that you're following? And for us as disciples, that following has to be Christ, has to be Jesus. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's interesting. Um, we often ask on our staff, who's discipling you? Right. And, and who are you discipling? And Jesus was a great model for us mm-hmm. about discipling and, and really hands-on ministry, right? Mm-hmm. And I think Paul even gives a great example of it when he talks about coming alongside people to help carry their burdens. Even though you might have a burden to carry, you still come alongside. It's one of the professors I had in college called it to come alongside ministry where I might be carrying a backpack full of weights and somebody might be carrying a boulder. Well, I don't drop my backpack to help carry the boulder. I carry the backpack while I'm carrying the boulder with them. Mm-hmm. And the idea of discipleship is that just helping each other carry along, coming alongside them to do ministry together and get through what they need to get through. If you polled most church people on that very question, what discipleship is, what do you think their response <laughs> would be? Uh, man. I don't think it'd be what we just said. <laughs> I don't think it would be. Yeah. I, I, and who's that on, by the way? Well, I think that that responsibility of, of teaching what true discipleship is lies on the local church. Yeah. I think that, that it, if we're going to place responsibility on people who are paid to do that job, I think that that responsibility has to fall on the shoulders of the men responsible or women for shepherding a flock. Yeah, and equipping the saints, right. Ephesians 4. Ephesians 4.12. Just talked about that on Sunday, actually. Yeah. So, I mean, that that is the whole purpose. The, they were given apostles. They were given prophets. They were given teachers to equip the saints. And part of that equipping is knowing what real and true discipleship is. So do you think true discipleship sometimes gets lost in things like preference or things like denominational differences. Uh, Yeah. Uh, I think one of the greatest tools that Satan has ever used is denominational divides, right? Us against them. And reality, we're all saved by the same blood of the same savior, Mm -hmm. right? Whether you choose to raise your hands in worship or read a specific translation, it doesn't matter because there's one savior that saved us all. And that's Christ. Um, so, yeah, I think it, it definitely gets confused because, again, who we're dealing with is that sinful nature of the person that wants to put an us versus them as opposed to, okay, let's all come together and do the best we can do. Yeah, so we, we kind of explain it. There's there's some top-level stuff that's non-negotiable. Right. And then there's other stuff that, you know, when we get you to You say top-level, I say open-hand, closed fist. Yeah, I love so, that. I like that better. Um, I, there's certain things that, uh, and to be to be fair, I took this analogy from a pastor that I used to listen to, but there's, there's a, approaching Christianity and religion and, and specifically theology is – a closed fist and an open hand. The closed fists are things that you're willing to contend and fight over, like the inerrancy of Scripture, like salvation by faith through grace alone, um, the virgin birth. 
Did I say inerrancy of scripture? Same yeah, thing. Right. Sure. Yeah. Those are definitely in the closed hands. Other things that are in the open hand are things that you converse about. So you contend with the closed fist, but you converse with the open fist. Things like translations, worship styles, uh, dress codes, if you want to go that far, right? Uh, even denominational lines. Um, th that was one of the things in my previous ministry where the name Baptist was very important. And I get that it's very important. I'm not trying to minimize that. But at the end of the day, Christ didn't die for the Baptists. Christ died for the people. Right. And if the Baptist church were to close up tomorrow, they're still going to be Christians. Yeah. Um, so those are things that, you know, I would contend or converse with in the open hand and other things that I would contend with in the closed hand. Right on. You know, we struggle with how much doctrine to preach versus how much practical application to preach. And, and I know you're, you love doctrine, you're educated um, and, and think it's very important, but um, do millennials tend to lean towards that theologically rich doctrine or we're, you know, kind of, you're a millennial, right? Well, you're asking the wrong millennial because <laughs> in a day of identification, I don't identify as a millennial. Yeah. But there's uh, millennials, my son's a millennial and my daughter and they're, they're rock solid, man. They, yeah. they talk about, there's a lot of great millennials out there talking about good things. I think when it comes to millennials, the surface level of Christianity is going to reach them. That's why I think the, 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 the depth of doctrine and the deep levels of doctrine is important. Um, understanding why we believe what we believe in the close fist, understanding why it's important to converse and not divide over uh, things in the open hand. Right. Yeah. Um, because more than I think any other generation, I think even though the, there seems to be a sense of entitlement with millennials, there's also, I think, an openness for dialogue. Um, they're willing to listen to an extent. They may think that they're the smartest people in the room, but they might act, they will still actually listen and and admit that, oh, hey, you taught me something. Right. Mm -hmm. So I think when it gets to the deeper levels of theology, I think that, I mean, if you take the, the, the word theology at its base root, what it means is literally the study of God. So if you're going to study theology, you're going to be drawn closer to God, which is what's of utmost importance. Yeah. Um, now there's a fine line because you also have to figure out how that does apply practically to life. But I, I don't think you can ever err on the side of drawing too close to God. You know. So do you believe we're in a post-Christian era at this point? These are tough questions you're asking me around. But <laughs> you know, I don't know. I, because this is all I've ever known, right? Like, I didn't live during the heydays of the Billy Grahams and stuff like that. and it, So I don't know. I To talk about post-Christian, I, I feel almost could be limiting to the power that God has because he could save anybody whenever he wants to so but that the onus then is on the people so mm -hmm. it's really hard to to say that's a very tough question what what i call it i think we're moving farther away from christian ideals which i think makes christian's job of discipleship and outreach that much more important but i don't ever want to say that we're beyond post or beyond christianity because yeah, I think that limits the power of the God that we serve. And I think a lot of, of scholars who talk about being in a post-Christian era means it's it looks different than it looked 50 years yeah, ago. Absolutely. Not that we're not, you know, millennials don't want to 
to have biblical community, um, they, it just may not look the same yeah. as it did 50 years ago. Like, like I, in that same vein, my grandfather saved at a Billy Graham crusade, right? Um, I don't think those are effective at this point in time. But what I do think is effective is something that we've actually been, you know, part of the missions committee at our church and part of my job on the missions committee is as, as the missional community group. And I think that those missional communities and Grady's going to love that I'm saying this on your mm-hmm. podcast, but I think those are so important to the development of good Christian churches yeah. because you're building relationships with people with no ulterior motive other than loving them like Christ. Yeah. And then when the church conversation comes up, Oh, Hey, I have a great church for you to come to. You trust me because of the relationship we built. Yeah. Not trust me on this as opposed to, Hey, let me befriend you so that you'll come to church with me. Yeah. That ulterior motive. And I, and I think that in the sense of post Christianity, if we're going to use that term, I think that's how things look different. Right. Yeah. Because the crusades serve their purpose, right? The Billy Graham, not, not the dark ages crusades, but the Billy Graham crusades mm-hmm. serve their purpose, right? Specifically affecting my family because my family would not be my family had my grandfather not been saved at a Billy Graham crusade. Right. But in, in 2017, it's different. And that Billy Graham crusade hub happens through your community and the neighbors that you reach. Yeah. Very important. Yeah. It, you know, being, a disciple. We talk a lot about this on staff with Grady and, and Pastor Doug and Callan. And being a disciple of Jesus is a twenty-four-seven thing, and it's highly inconvenient. Getting to know my neighbors is inconvenient. Mm-hmm. You know, having somebody stay in, in our house for an extended period of time because there's a need there is inconvenient. Right. But sort of uh, the the church that I think the millennials kind of turn their nose up at is is the notion that, Hey, we're going to meet on Sunday, you know, for 1% of our weekly time mm-hmm. and, and feel good about ourselves because we check the box off and right. then go about our lives uh, business right. as usual. Right. The Christian ideology versus the country club ideology. Right. Yeah. yeah. Anybody can show up and check in at the country club, but being a Christian, you talk about inconvenience. There's nothing guaranteed in scripture that says that life with Christ will be convenient. In fact, you're told that it's going to be very difficult right? They're, yeah. they're going to hate us. They're going to persecute us. Peter says in first Peter one verses three through 10, where he says, you're going to experience pain. And that pain may be for a little while, meaning this life on earth, but your reward is imperishable, never fading away. Yeah. Right. Because what is rewarded at the end of this life is greater than anything you experience in this life. Yeah. I think it's important that we know that. Yeah. It's interesting. 50 years ago, if you didn't go to church, there was a social stigma against right. that. And I think that's what a lot of the scholars say now. They're like, look, that if you don't go to church now, that's kind of the norm. Right. There's almost a stigma if you do go to church right. in a lot of circles. So we're moving into that era where in, unless we really have these biblical communities that, that are who we are as a person 24-7, mm-hmm. then then – the, the one thing millennials do well is they sniff out rats. They, they're oh, like, yeah. yeah, yeah. They just want me to come and, and I'm very know, good at reading people, give my money. Yeah, and I would agree. you know, mm-hmm. ask a lot of questions and, and they're not accepted. So, I, and a lot of those questions come across as very condescending and judgmental. Right. And 
who wants to be in a place like that? Let me tell you, the millennials are fact-checking generation. They had Google <laughs> at their disposal. Right. They're like, oh, wait, 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 wait. What you just said is not right. entirely true. Yeah. You I, know, I, so I, you better bring your A game with millennials. And it's not arrogance. It's just they're saying, tell me the truth. The truth. Yeah. Don't, don't blow smoke up my skirt. Right? There you like, go. Nobody likes that. No. Nobody likes and that. And they can sniff it out, man. <laughs> it's so funny. Well, you know, I know faith is a huge part of who you are, and but uh, let me uh, transition now into okay. talking about your family. Okay. Uh, just tell us about your family, your wonderful wife, your wonderful yes. boy, and all that good stuff. Even uh, even uh, your extended family, your brother, and, okay. and, and all that good stuff. Um, as far as family goes down here in Texas, we have my beautiful wife, Jessica, who is beyond words awesome. Uh and then June 19th of this last year, we welcomed John Robert, or who we call Jack, um, to the world. And he is a bundle of joy. He loves to smile. He loves to spit up. And he loves to eat, <laughs> which is good. Um, and then also down here in Texas is my brother Jordan and his wife Hunter. They live in McKinney. Uh, off the top of my head, I can't remember what church they attend, but I know that they have got that biblical community kind of yeah. uh, missional community that they meet with every Thursday night for dinner and oh, fantastic. they love it. And then up in Michigan, um, where I'm from Detroit, Michigan, uh, huge Detroit sports fan, uh, Tigers, Lions to my detriment, Red Wings, Pistons, love them all. Uh, University of Michigan football. So up in Michigan is my mom and dad who serve at Beacon Baptist church in Taylor, Michigan. My dad will become the head pastor January 1st, 2018. Fantastic. Um, my brother-in-law, Jared Berenger, and my sister, Jenny Berenger, work on staff with them. Jared is the music pastor, although different situation than mine because he didn't grow up in the church. He's from Virginia, married my sister. They met in college, and then he got hired on as a music guy. Wonderfully talented guy. Wow. Uh, fantastic. Uh, my sister teaches kindergarten in a school district around the area. And then down in Springfield, Missouri, where I went to college and my dad went to college, is my youngest brother, Matthew, who's attending Baptist Bible College. And that's my family. <laughs> so since June, you've been a dad. I've been a dad since June. To new fathers, and there's plenty out there. Mm -hmm. What would you say to them? What three tips would you, <laughs> would you give to new dads? <sighs> Number one, support your wife, regardless of what, like she's the one that's carrying the baby around for nine months. Mm -hmm. She's the one that is heavily involved in how she wants to raise that child. And I think that it's very important that she, it's a team effort and not a solo effort. Uh, like in our situation, even though I'm a big reader, like I wanted nothing to do with the baby books because I knew Jess was going to read them. I knew she was going to tell me everything that I needed to do. Right. 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 So just support, support, support your wife in, in anything she chooses to do. If, if you're fortunate enough to allow her to stay home and work, my wife and I are not at this point in our life, but um, so that brings other areas where she needs my support, support. Um, second thing is if you can do the, last feeding of the night before the middle feeding middle of the night feeding that usually allows you for at least five hours of sleep 
Um, and then just enjoy every second because I looked at my wife and I were looking at pictures this last weekend of Jack and we're like, he's not even the same kid and it hasn't even been three months yet. Yeah. You blame like, yeah, like it's crazy. Her and I were fortunate enough because I'm a teacher that I was able to be home all summer while she was on paternity leave. So that was awesome because we were spending every day together, but routine, routine, routine. That'd probably be the fourth thing on that. Nice. <laughs> Get on a schedule and find a routine. Yeah. Cause that, I mean, there's different philosophies out there. And if you subscribe to a different philosophy, that's totally fine and totally your prerogative. Just have a plan. But we love the schedule that we're on right now. Very good. Man. So that's awesome. And I, I can, I can feel uh, the love that you guys have for Jack and he's awesome. You know, um, you know, my best friend is my son. He's 25, you know, mm-hmm. and, and my daughter, who I love incredibly as well. It's just, you blink and now she's got two grandkids, right. you know, all right, uh, two kids and I had uh, grandkids. So you're right. You got to make the most of every moment. You got to memories take hard work. They do just work hard and, and, and get good stuff done with that. So, uh, man, just having a solid family and, a, um, that helps you too in your business life as well. So tell us what's going on with the, the writing and all that good stuff. So I currently um, have three books that are out on Amazon that I co-wrote. Uh, one is called High School Dropout, Stories of a Navy Pilot. The other one is SWAT, or Fighting Monsters, SWAT Stories. Um, and then the third one is the Think Big Movement, Grow Your Business Big, Really Big. Um, all of them are released See, we had a release July 15th and then two released on August 15th. So they're available through Amazon. They're all on audible.com as well. There's Kindle versions available if you like the electronic copies instead of the hard hard copies. And then the book that I gave you tonight, Damaged Wings, comes out October 15th. So this is not even out yet. Not even out yet, dude. You get get to read it? Before everyone else. Wow. There's one other person, I think, that has read it before you because they bought it from me. But other than that, you would be like the first person in America. I'm honored. I will read this. Uh, The the, the cover's awesome. Yeah. it's Damaged Wings is a fantastic story of a guy I got to know named Sherrod in Baltimore. He uh, grew up in poverty. No father figure in his life. Bounced from house to house. A lot of abuse. Mm. Uh, by the time he was eight or nine years old, he was on the streets selling drugs just to make a living so he could compete with the kids at school that had stuff he didn't have. Yeah. Um, and that that ultimately led him to uh, gang life. And that ultimately led him to multiple stays in jail. And it was through various moments of his life that God saved him. And so the first half of the story is rough and tough and hard to read some of the stories that are in there. Um, But then the back half of it's pretty awesome because it's all about what God does to save us out of our uh, damaged and broken situations. Mm. Um, You know, I was writing that book. I was writing the end of that book and one song came to mind and it's the ending to it. This is my story. This is my song. 
And I just thought it was perfect, a, a perfect ending for that book because this is my story. This is my song, no matter what I've been through, no matter what's gone on, I'm praising my savior all day long. Right. And, yeah. um, so I'm excited about that book that I think that book's going to do really well. The other books have done quite well as well. Um, it's an interesting dynamic co-writing a book for someone though, mm. because I don't matter. Right. Right. Um, it's their book. So literally whatever they want to write is what needs to be written. Yeah which is perfectly fine with me. I don't have any uh, problems writing what they want to write. The The Fighting Monsters SWAT stories is a heavy book too. Um, you know, there, there's a line in there that says, you know, in order to fight monsters, you have to become one yourself. Mm. And wow. it's, it's a very heavy book. The other two are very good, uh, very motivational. High school dropout stories of a Navy pilot. My buddy Butch Rutt in Denver, Colorado, dropped out of high school to support his family, um, was working in gas stations and wanted to better himself. So he went, crammed four years of college into two and a half and became a naval officer and uh, a pilot on a P-3 Orion. Flew over, uh, flew over the Pacific Ocean during the Cold War uh, and then was a pilot for Northwest during 9-11. Um, so that story is great. It's dedicated to his son and it's written like a letter to his son. And then the Think Big Movement is a uh, a business book that's written like a fable. So it's not like a 10 keys to success that you would read like any other book. It's right. a it's a fable fiction book yeah. modeled after. Um, I'm drawing a blank. Um, the Alchemist. I don't know if you've ever read The Alchemist. I've not read it. It's a pretty good book, pretty good fable book. And so we modeled it after that and follows the story of a character named Jacob who's stuck in his business and wants to figure out how to get unstuck. And it's a fantastic, everyone, all all the reviews on that one and the High School Dropout one and the Fighting Monster one, I haven't gotten anything less than a five-star review yet. Wow. So that's pretty awesome. Mostly friends and family, but still pretty cool to see that on Amazon. That's right, you know. Yeah. You know, I'm mean, sure there'll be some that come out that are not as as um, awesome, but it's still pretty cool initially to see words you've written being print, and then yeah. to see um, or to hear actually words you've written being narrated by someone else on Audible. Yeah, is really cool too. Um, are you currently writing? I'm currently editing. Okay, I finished. Call me crazy, but. I had started my novel June 1st. Jack was born June 19th, and I was finished with the novel by July 31st. Wow. Um, so I'm pretty excited about that as well. That The novel is called The Askren Boys, uh, stories of, of brothers, heroes, and growing up, um, based on my father or my grandfather and his two brothers. Mm. Um, that comes out next September 1st. So. Fantastic. How much research time did you spend on that one? <sighs> okay. So I actually started writing that book. I say I started writing it June 1st, but in reality, I wrote the first like three chapters in 2014 after the death of my grandfather. Um, and then I got the first co-writing job. So I kind of put it on the shelf for a little while. And then when she offered me the second book, as a co-writer, I kind of 
finagled that into my own book contract. And I said, I'd love to keep writing other people's books, but I want to write my own too. Yeah. And so if I'm throwing you a bone, throw me a bone. Yeah. And she did. Um, I sent her in two very raw manuscripts and they picked the one that they liked and it ended up being the one that I wanted them to choose. Good. So I got to write that book. Um, so research time. I mean, I was off and on researching since 2014 because it's difficult to place yourself as a narrator in a generation that you never experienced. Right. Right. Like, like saying things like macho, right. Not a 1940s term. Yeah. But how do you know that if you've only lived from the eighties to the 2017s, right. It's very tough. So, um, thank goodness I have editors. My, my mother was the first editor. My brother-in-law is the second editor. Jess is always reads everything first. Um, and so they kind of catch those things and they're like, you might want to check this. And so then I can submit it to the publisher here in the next week. Yeah. So, so that's good. I'm really hoping that one takes off because that's like a, a very near and dear I project. Bet. Are there stories of redemption in that woven into that uh, novel as well? Not as much because without giving anything away, um, my grandfather did not meet Christ until probably tw- a decade or so after this book is set. So this is more just a historical fiction. Gotcha. Um, there's some Christianity. There's some, you know, um, going to church and the praying and, and that kind of stuff. Um, but it's more of just a straight historical fiction. I may follow it up with the story of my grandfather during the Korea War. I don't know yet because that would be when he's fighting two battles, the physical battle and the spiritual battle. Wow. But we'll, we'll see. Yeah. I've got a bunch of other things in the works, too. So really appreciate your time today, uh, tonight and just uh, I know you're getting great stuff done uh, for the kingdom and for your family. And uh, uh, the last question I'll ask you about business and then I'd, I'd like you to answer the question and then also tell us, you know, again, where to find your books and where to okay. find you online. But is it tough to put yourself out there creatively? you know, to, to, to write something and then just bring it to market. I, I know songwriters, for mm-hmm. instance, really have a tough time because they never feel like their product is done. You know, they, they, they do it and they, they give it to market and they feel like, well, here I am, mm-hmm. you know, or have you just been resolved just to, to get it done and, and see what happens? Um, it's a little bit of both to be completely honest with you. So, I'm the type of person that I really don't necessarily, let me put this very delicately. I'm very comfortable with who I am and what I do. So other people's opinions of what I do and don't do have no bearing in my life at all. That doesn't surprise me. (laughs) Um, So, and I even say in the acknowledgements of the Ashram boys, I thank the reader for buying the book and I hope that they've enjoyed it, even though I don't write for anyone's approval. Mm -hmm. Um, I write solely as a creative outlet for myself. Yeah. Um, Because truth be told, and this probably is pretty obvious to people that know me, but I'm not a very outgoing person. Like lock me in a room with, a record player, books, 
and a legal pad and I could stay there and be happy forever. Yeah. Right. I'm just not the, I like to be by myself. I like my alone time. And so as, as the creativity kind of forces itself onto the page, I'm not doing it to impress anybody. Yeah. So therefore like they can judge it how they judge it and they can interpret it. And that's great because at least they read it and bought it. Yeah. Right. Like so, so to me, it's not as vulnerable as some people think. Now on the, on the flip side of that, when it comes to my wife reading it very first, her and I are the ones that have these conversations because I want her to like it. Right. Right. Like I want her to enjoy it, but beyond her. Yeah. Exactly. And I think that's a great lesson for entrepreneurs because it is, what is your motivation for doing this accolades or is, or are you doing it because you believe in yourself and you know who you are and be bold and initiate. Mm -hmm. So that's, that's a great word for our audience. Like if you want to do something, go do it. Yeah. Right. There's nothing, there's literally nothing stopping you other than yourself. Plain and simple. I don't have any background in English literature. I don't have, in fact, to be honest with you, I dropped AP English in high school because I didn't want to take it. And I took a class called novels. Worst decision I ever made in my life, but I'm not a very good structured grammatical writer, but I'm not going to let that stop me. I like to write. I love to write. I write every day, every opportunity I get because it's enjoyable for me. And Yes, hopefully it's good enough that somebody takes joy in it and enjoys it and maybe they're stirred to some kind of emotion. But if you don't like it, there's plenty of other books. Dude, where can we find your stuff? Okay, so you can follow me on Twitter at underscore AJ Riley. Um, or you can find me on amazon.com slash author slash AJ Riley. Pretty soon I will have my own website launching ajriley.com. Just working on a couple of kinks with that pretty, pretty quickly. The man, the myth, the legend, AJ Riley. <laughs> <Stop. Boom. laughs>